Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2410. Today is a really important show and it very well might save your life or someone you know. So be prepared to be informed and inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm with a, a very, very important returning guest here on Cars Yeah. He's been on the show twice before, back in 2020 and then 2021, to share some life-saving information with you folks. I want him to come back to give us some updates to see if anything has improved or if it's gotten worse by the name of Jerry Cox. Jerry, welcome back to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear? And are you ready to release the clutch? Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. Good to have you back. Now, I want to give you a introduction here, and then we're going to dive into, well, actually, what I'm going to do first is have you do a bit of a recap is what to brought you and I together, a book that you wrote. And then we're going to dive into how are things happening today with this really catastrophic situation that we have with airbags around the world, I guess we could say. But let me give you a proper introduction, Jerry, and then we'll dive into it. Jerry Cox is a Washington, D.C.-based lawyer and crisis communications advisor with over 40 years of experience with airbags in automobiles. He played a substantial role in implementing the airbag requirement and has represented numerous auto industries, organizations, including the Used Car Dealers Association, auto auctions, Carfax, and state motor vehicle administrators. Takata Corporation hired him way back in 2014 to help explain a problem the company was having with its airbags. They were blowing up in people's faces. They were shooting shrapnel into people's bodies, killing and severely injuring people. I'll say that I have two cars that I had to have the Takata airbags replaced in twice on both those cars. Jerry wrote a book titled Killer Airbags, The Deadly Secret Automakers Don't Want You to Know, and it turned into a massive recall of consumer products, one of the biggest ones in history. Today, he returns for some potentially life-saving updates on the airbag disaster. So listen up. But first, a word from our sponsors. So let's give them a little bit of love. Sit tight. We'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up. But my usage was the same, and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 9324 and protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented 
and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkages about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Jerry, we are back. So what I'd love you to do is give my listeners, perhaps the ones that didn't hear our first two talks, and specifically the first talk, a little update of how you got involved. Because the backstory here is very fascinating. But, of course, what's really going on is the important part and why I wanted you to come back. But can you take us on a little bit of a history lesson here, starting with when you started working for Takata? Well, actually, I'd rather start a little bit earlier than that. Okay. <laughs> Back in the very early 1980s, I was a very ambitious 26-year-old legislative counsel to a United States senator by the name of Jack Danforth. Uh, Jack was known as a really major advocate of safety, uh, automobile safety and other kinds of um, uh, safety, and also a big uh, technologist, somebody who thought technology needed to be applied to a lot of different things, and he thought given the incredibly horrible numbers that we were having in terms of highway fatalities back in the early 1980s, that it was time to do something. And he said to me at one point, Jerry, your job is to get airbags in cars. You know, I have very mixed feelings about that now because we did succeed. The requirement did finally get put into place uh, in the early to mid-1990s, and uh, it's known that airbags have saved something like 50,000 lives over the years. But it was also clear, even back when I was a Senate staffer, that airbags would kill people. I went to Jack and, and said, you know, are, are we really sure we want to push this requirement? The folks at General Motors are telling me that airbags will kill people. Mm. And uh, they won't just save people, they will kill some people. And uh, you know what, Jack, I think they're right. And his response was, it's like any vaccine. You're going to get a tremendous amount of benefit. And uh, there are going to be some people who are going to get the disease. And with airbags, there are going to be some people who are going to get killed. That, that was the case very much uh, in the 90s, going into the 20s. I'm sorry, into the 2000s, rather. Airbags killed more children than they saved in the first couple of years. And there needed to be some technological changes to try to make them safer. But now here we are, 40 years later, you have had the, the gigantic recall of the Takata airbags. It was not just the biggest automotive recall in history, but the biggest recall of any consumer product in history. And it's not even done yet. We have had some additional, the death count has gone up since we last talked. We're now up to about three dozen people who've been killed by Takata airbags. That's of one design. And the government has excluded another group of airbags that had something added to the explosive to try to keep it from degrading and, and uh, causing the explosions. But those desiccants that were put in for those are now starting to basically expire, and you're going to see more people killed by the later generation of Takata airbags. And uh, you're also going to see a recall of another 30 million vehicles because of that. So it's just it's an astonishing number, it's astonishing cost. Takata is long since bankrupt, gone, criminally convicted, out of the picture. The auto manufacturers have supposedly inherited all of that mess from the Takata airbags, but you still have 
over 7 million cars on the road with the most dangerous Takata airbags in them. And half of those are General Motors cars. And now you've got a whole other issue because when people had to turn away from the Takata airbags, which used ammonium nitrate to generate the gas that inflated the airbags, one of the companies that they went to uh, for uh, replacements or what uh, manufacturers went to for their original equipment were manufactured by a company called ARC, uh, U.S. headquarters in Knoxville, but it's a Chinese-owned company. And the government now is in the process of ordering a recall of 30 million of those. Oh, geez. You know, uh, this is going to be on top of the Takata airbag recalls that haven't been done yet, the Takata airbags that haven't been recalled or fixed yet, and then you're adding all of these ARC airbags on top of that. And it's just a complete mind blower because the costs are enormous and the risk to uh, individual drivers and, and passengers is just completely unacceptable. Yeah. I Wow. Where do you go from here? Because most people listening that have, and being car people, I think many people listening have probably heard about this. In my case, as I mentioned, we had two 3 Series BMWs that got recalls. They replaced the passenger side first, which was curious to me why the main guy driving wasn't done first, but at any rate, and then it, that took years. And then more years later, the other one was replaced, the driver's side. And we sold one of those cars, but I still have mine. And then they had to come back and say, oops, we did it again, uh, to quote Britney Spears. And they had to come back and replace them again. And so now I sit here, every time I get in that car, I kind of go, hmm, I wonder if these are going to go bad too, because I keep my cars a long time. My car is 18 years old now. But this ARC thing is something completely different from what we talked about last. And I know that a couple of weeks ago, the NHTSA uh, recorded a public meeting. I'm going to put a link to that on Jerry's show notes page. Can you talk to us a little bit about that situation? Yes, because if anybody watches that video link from the Zoom meeting that they did, you will see that the Fight Club formula is still alive. Fight Club, yeah. Could you explain that relationship? Because those people that maybe didn't see the movie or missed that concept, it's very stunning what was said in that movie. There's a, there's a clip that people have uploaded on YouTube that's very much worthwhile for anybody um, who owns a car to uh, look at. And uh, the lead character is explaining to a lady sitting next to him on an airplane what his job is. And he says he works for a major car company and his job is to help them figure out whether it is better to recall a safety a car with a safety defect or just pay out the damages for all the people who get killed. And the woman is just horrified by the idea that any company would do that. I mean, first of all, that's totally contrary to federal law. The law is that when there is a safety-related defect in a vehicle, the auto manufacturer is obligated to provide a fix for free. And so all of your uh, listeners, you and all your listeners, should be able to take some comfort in the fact that it's not supposed to cost you anything. Once these have been identified, you just have to go through the trouble of getting into the dealership, a dealership of the make of whichever car it is that you have. You don't have to have bought it at that dealership, but you have to get into that dealership and then have them replace it, and they're supposed to do that for free. But history shows that the auto manufacturers, and this is a big part of the secret they don't want you to know, is that recalls don't cost them anything. Repairs cost them. But if you don't show up for your repair, you've just saved them, in this case with these ARC inflators, you know, probably at least 150 bucks 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, multiply that times the number of inflators, the tens of millions that they're ta- that the government is talking about recalling. Yeah, what my biggest regret over this is not just that the Fight Club formula is still there and it's still being used. I really look at uh, ARC's reaction to this, and you'll see it in that in that NHTSA video. That what they're really doing is they're using my book, Killer Airbags, as a how-to manual, uh, because. Takata, for the first several years uh, after their airbags started blowing up and killing people, I mean, whoever would think that their safety equipment would blow up and kill you, but it happened a few times, uh, and they kept telling the government, well, we're looking for a root cause. Uh, No, we can't do anything until we know that, well, they knew what the root cause was, and it really didn't matter. I mean, clearly there was a problem with, with what they had made, and they ended up recalling, and they will end up recalling just about everything they ever made that had ammonium nitrate in it, but... That's the problem that I see is that the ARC people seem to be just using the Takata playbook and dragging the whole thing out and denying that there's a defect. Well, doggone it, you know, uh, when an airbag does something like what happened to um, uh, a woman who was mentioned, her son, the woman who was killed by an ARC airbag a few months ago, and her son um, got up in front of God and everybody and, and said, you know, we were on our way to get ice cream. And um, my, this thing blew up and uh, shot holes through my mother's neck. And we sat there with her and watched her bleed to death. And so here I am now, a 22-year-old, raising my nine, imagine nine siblings, because of, of this happening. And I really don't want to see this happen to anybody else. That's very moving uh, testimony. It's worth watching the NHTSA program just because of that. But it's just astonishing that it has taken this long and that any company would fight this and would try to do the same thing that Takata did. But the the people at the agency who you will see speak at this, I give them a huge amount of credit um, because they have absolutely no leadership in that agency at all. They had this administration put in a NHTSA administrator who lasted something like two and a half months. That's the only time that there was an administrator in that agency, and Trump never had anybody in there, and Obama didn't put anybody in there until somebody needed to come in and clean up the Takata mess. And I think he was in there for like nine months. So these folks have nobody to run interference for them with these gigantically powerful corporations like General Motors they're having to just go out there and risk their careers. And so if anybody does go to that link and watches and listens, just realize what those agency people are up against in trying to uh, move this forward and to get some action on the part of ARC and, more importantly, the car manufacturers, because they're just hiding behind ARC the same way they hid behind Takata up until the point where too many people were getting killed. Gee, I thought the government was there to help us and protect us. Well, remember Ronald Reagan's comment, you know, that the scariest words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah, yeah, wow. Well, can you explain a bit to people listening that are now going, "Uh uh-oh, am I at risk? Like how, and you did this before, but I want to hear it again. How can people figure out if their car has one of these defective airbags in it? Well, the answer is there's really no way to do that. All you can do is find out whether your car has been recalled. And you do that by going to NHTSA's website and you click on recalls. And I'll make sure that you have a a link to take people there. Type in your 17-digit VIN. Your audience knows where to find their VIN. An awful lot of people wouldn't have a clue. 
but your audience knows where to find it. Then type it in, and it will tell you whether it's under recall or not. The trick is you have to keep checking it uh, on a regular basis, and I believe there's a feature there where you can ask um, their computer to let you know if your VIN does pop up with uh, any sort of a recall, not just an airbag recall. So that's the number one thing that everybody who's listening to you should do immediately is go in and, and make sure that they are on that notice list because you're going to see a whole bunch more Takata airbags that are going to be recalled once those supposedly desiccated units start blowing up and killing people. There's some evidence that that's already happening, uh, but the government hasn't said, yeah, we, we think it's time. That what's done is to investigate and put out feelers to try to um, see or get kind of advanced notice when there's going to be a wave of people dying from uh, from those. And the only place uh, that I know of where anybody could go and find out whether their car might be affected by this is killerairbags.com uh, because the agency lets slip a list of the makes and models that have those desiccated inflators that have not been recalled. And because they haven't been recalled, if you, even if you go to killerairbags.com and you find that your car is on that list, there's not really much of anything you can do about it until they actually go from the investigation stage to the recall stage. But you should be forewarned about that. And if you're thinking about selling your car, that might provide a little bit of incentive for you to get it out of your hands into somebody else's so you won't have to deal with it if and when those get recalled. The ARC, you know, the tens of millions of inflators we're talking about there, the government's been very thin on information that they're providing. Um, but the Wall Street Journal, um, Ryan Felton there is a terrific reporter uh, who had a piece that was published last week. Um, and I hope, I don't know if you can link that um, to your program, but uh, that piece um, really hits the nail on the head as far as the number of GM cars. Uh, and you know, history shows that if there's any manufacturer that is going to be uh, slowest in actually um, announcing recalls and actually doing fixes, it's going to be General Motors. As I said, even of those super dangerous Takata airbags um, that are out there, 7.3 million and half of them are GM cars. You know, Honda and some of the other culprits in this, you know, got serious about it. But General Motors um, really has done everything they could think of uh, to drag that process out. Would you explain to some listeners going, well, wait, I thought this was just a pillow that it, that inflated in my face and so my face hit it and I'm fine. What causes the damage? Because they basically turn into like almost, dare I say, grenades. They are grenades. They're IEDs is what happens with them. It's an important distinction between the Takata problem and the ARC problem. But you have to understand, first of all, that what that inflator is, it's like a, it's like a rocket engine. The only thing is, it's the rocket that stays still and the exhaust goes out. And the exhaust that goes out fills up the airbag. That's what gives you the cushion. That's <laughs> the only way you can inflate a cushion that quickly is to have essentially a little explosion that goes on, a little rocket you know, firing that goes on. In the case of Takata, the explosive itself um, degrades. And um, Takata knew that and basically said, well, it's not going to degrade very often and it's not going to degrade very soon. And, you know, people will die, but, you know, this is, um, you know, it's like a vaccine. <laughs> I mean, you know, somebody's going to take one for the team. You know, we're not going to worry about it. And so they went ahead and put it out there, and they were found criminally responsible for that. Um, but that was the problem was that when it degraded, it would explode. It didn't just go off like a like a like a jet engine. 
I'm sorry, like a rocket engine, it, it went off like a hand grenade, and that's what killed people. ARC is a different situation. It's not a question of time as it was and is with uh, Takata airbags. It's a question of quality control because they used a technique called friction welding and to put the unit together. And my understanding from engineers who know this inside and out is that friction welding is known to produce something called slag. And so you've got little bits of metal that come off of the friction welding inside. And if they are just the wrong size, if all that slag that's in there is just the wrong size, when the explosion happens, you know, when the rocket engine goes off, the uh, slag blocks the nozzles. And so it can't get to the bag it builds up inside the inflator and it goes beyond its design capabilities and it, and it blows up like a hand grenade. So you basically have two different ways to get to turn an airbag inflator into an IED. Yeah, frightening. Well, the book that you wrote, I want to put, I'll put a link to that on Jerry's show notes page, uh, Killer Airbags, says it's a fascinating read. It goes much more in depth into all of this. And since you're the guy that, you know, was involved from the beginning of, of all this, the knowledge and what Jerry shares and why I thought it was important to have you back on the show because of what's going on with ARC now is, I, I, I begs me to ask the question, do you foresee a, resolution in the future of some new design because obviously airbags do save lives they have saved lots of lives that we don't have this problem has there been some not everyone is a bad airbag is it no and there are multiple uh, manufacturers in the world uh autolive is one i've never heard of well there might have been one or two issues with autolive airbags and the, the thing that everybody has to realize anybody in your audience who is familiar with um, industry, knows that uh, when you come up with a, a process, there are going to be anomalies that happen. So there are going to be some things that go wrong, and there are ways you can reduce those anomalies by a certain percentage or whatever. It's almost impossible to make something 100% perfect, but some people decide that something is perfect enough, and this is one of the things that's going to come back to haunt ARC, is the what they manufactured between 2000 and 2018, they used one technique uh, to try to control quality and to kick out any units that had slag in them or had other uh, problems. And then in 2018, they changed. They realized they were missing stuff, I think, is what the evidence is ultimately going to show. Um, and they started doing it differently. And so all of the recalls that are going to get ordered, and I do believe that's going to be the result when NHTSA finally gets that done. Those are all going to be uh, units that were manufactured between 2000 and 2018. Um, and but the the trick is that you know there are ways to get this close to perfect, and there are ways to get a little bit closer to perfect. And unfortunately, um, you've got people. I'll just just want to generically say bean counters. It's not just them; it's investors and so forth. And if, if it's going to cost us. X amount of money to get from this close to perfect to this much closer to perfect. Uh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend that money. Um, I want to just go ahead and keep on um, selling these. And that is exactly the fight club formula. It's we can come out ahead paying for when the mom of nine, you know, gets killed on her way, taking the kids out for ice cream, then we'll write her and her kids a big check. And that's good enough. And, um, you know, we shouldn't be expected to keep it from happening to anybody else because, and, and NHTSA has, uh, they have a, a Yale trained mathematician 
um, who did the calculations as to what percentage of these um, are going to blow up in deployments. And it is a tiny percentage. It's a minuscule percentage. And my attitude is, well, tell that to the person who just had their head blown off right. or to the family of the person who had their head blown off. I mean, that, you know, you, you got to do you got to do what you got to do in order to make your product safe. And with the ARC units, they've only had, I think, seven cases. Um, I don't remember how many of the seven were killed, um, but there have been at least three or four people killed. Um, and that's where we were with Takata when they hired me in 2014 was, you know, we've got, you know, three or four, and we want to make sure that we don't end up with more um, uh, recalls. But when, when they had gotten to three or four, they – got the agency, they, there was an investigation that the staff started um, to find out what was going on here. Why did we even have three or four people killed? And the agency killed the investigation. They just told the staff, no, forget about it. And the next thing we knew, it wasn't three or four, it was 13 or 14. And now it's three dozen, you know, people who've been right. killed um, by the things. And uh, it's it, it's a matter of... Um, it's a matter of money when it comes right down to it. And you got people who are more than happy uh, to profit uh, off of um, the misery of other people. That's just kind of the way the world is. And, Sadly, yes. And um, I, I hate to say it, but that's the way it is. But sooner or later, um, there can be some justice. There's also a lawsuit uh, pending against ARC, um, which uh, I can direct people uh, to. It's a class action filed somewhere down south, I think. But uh, there's a class action pending that goes into a lot of details about the history of um, ARC, you know, recognizing this problem and what they chose to do and what they chose not to do in order to um, minimize the number of circumstances where uh, these things uh, kill people. You mentioned uh, NHTSA, the, the acronym NHTSA. Can you tell our listeners what that stands for? Yes, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. There you go. Yeah, and that's not what it was originally called. I my book has the history of NHTSA, what what the agency was called initially, but it was part of the National Motor Vehicle Traffic Safety <laughs> National Motor Vehicle Traffic Safety Act of 1966. It was the congressional response to uh, Nader uh, and his book, Unsafe at Any Speed. Yeah, the Corvair. Well, yeah, I'm saving any speed, and Ralph has said incredibly kind things about my book uh, as well, and I'm very grateful to him and uh, wish him many more years to come. I believe he's if he hasn't turned 90 yet, I think he's about to. His book really made a huge difference. Congress did act in 1966. There was that statute and other things that were that were passed. And from the very beginning, and my book details how the auto industry fought against implementation of that statute, uh, and they fought very bitterly. Um, they fought Jack Danforth very bitterly about our efforts to try to get uh, legislation to promote airbags. And, and then they also were on the opposing side. Right after I left my Senate job, I was on the brief in the a Supreme Court case uh, for the independent insurers. And that was the thing that pretty much forced the Reagan administration to take a second look, you know, think about the campaign promise to get rid of the requirement. And it's really interesting. I found it really interesting that all these other presidents from 1966, from Johnson on forward to Reagan, none of them actually managed to get airbags in cars. Certainly not any requirement for airbags in cars, and it was Ronald Reagan that did it. And Elizabeth Dole uh, is the one who persuaded him to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I really wonder if we could look, if we could have looked to today, 40 years later, 
and what's going on here. I wonder if perhaps there could have been some other things that we might have done uh, to try to keep uh, manufacturers more honest. Um, because, and, and this, this was a huge thing in the auto industry, uh, was uh, reducing costs. You know, you had executives who, who just made uh, enormous bonuses um, by instituting commonality of parts, that sort of thing. Uh, and then once you've got a common part, then you're going to find the cheapest unit cost you can find. And if you hire a company like, um, you know, uh, what was Takata's uh, predecessor, you know, that has operations in Atlanta and various places in the U.S., before you know it, the stuff is being made in China or in Mexico. And that's where ARC's uh, inflators are made now, primarily not so much in Knoxville, Tennessee, but mostly in China and Mexico. And um, I think there's only one of the ones that was manufactured in uh, Tennessee that's killed anybody. The other ones were Mexican or, or Chinese. But there's just this enormous drive in the industry. And again, that's one of the big secrets they don't want you to know is that when they're out buying uh, components, they're, they're driving the suppliers to cut costs and, and make it cheaper for them. And one big irony in the Takata situation was in the criminal case, Takata was ordered to pay a gigantic, I mean, close to a billion dollars to the car manufacturers. They paid very little to the people or the families of the people who were killed or injured, but they paid a bunch. And the Justice Department made out that the car manufacturers were Takata's victims, which, you know, as my book explains, is, 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 is ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. Honda in particular was really the instigator of getting Takata to branch out from seatbelts, um, which they were very good at into something that their chairman was scared to death of because it involved explosives. And the chairman of the company, um, you know, back in the uh, 70s, you know, said, we can't, we can't do that. It'll kill us. We'll go bankrupt. And it was really prophetic. And that's the thing I can't get over uh, is the number of times people look at these situations and say, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? You know, this is going to have this terrible result. And people do it anyway. And I think there's got to be some, I'm sure somewhere there's an ARC memo where somebody said, um, guys, you know, we really need to do different, find some different way to catch the slag that's left over in these things and, and to send those back to the melting pot instead of putting them in cars. Um, but that's going to be part of that litigation. Uh, maybe it, it may be that the agency has to litigate with ARC even to get the recall. Um, I don't remember any occasion since Joan Claybrook was the administrator back uh, in the um, 70s, you know, where the agency actually had to issue an order for somebody to recall the product. In most cases, even with Takata, you know, the, you know Takata hired the former general counsel of NHTSA uh, to defend them, uh, and she pointed out to them that the, the agency can't force a, a tier one supplier to recall their products. It really is a question of the manufacturers. So you really have to convince the manufacturers that the product is defective and therefore their car contains a safety-related defect. And so far, nobody at NHTSA seems to have dared uh, to put the onus on General Motors or any of the other manufacturers who are affected by this. But I have to believe that sooner or later, there will be, speaking of pressure, there'll be pressure on them to go ahead and, and go about doing this. And I just hope that the agency will do it right this time because there were so many gigantic mistakes that they made with respect to the Takata airbags. And that's why you're still seeing people getting killed by them even now. 
Well, listeners, don't wait for some little tiny white piece of paper to show up in your mailbox that gets buried between all the other junk mail you get that's a recall notice, because many times we've seen those. They're tiny, uh, they don't look like anything, and they get ignored. Uh, Go to killerairbags.com. And you can put in your VIN. If you don't know what your VIN is, it's very easy to find. Uh, It's on every car. And uh, see if you're at risk here. And remember that repairs for all of these are free. The challenge is getting them done in a timely manner, which can take a long time. But I encourage you to check it out. I also encourage you to buy a copy of Jerry's book. It's very, very fascinating, very interesting, and uh Get your hands on that. I'll put a link to that as well. Is there anything else we didn't touch on today, Jerry, that you'd like to share with the listeners out there to make them more informed? No, I would just like to emphasize that we're in an age of do-it-yourself auto safety. As I said, I think that these uh, agency people that you'll see in that video are extremely brave, and I think that their hearts are in the right place, but there's only so much the agency can do to get people to even when something has been recalled, to actually get in and get the repair done. They required uh, the appointment of a special monitor for the Takata airbag situation, and they found circumstances where a car dealerships, you have to realize the dealerships make nothing. They basically get their costs covered in doing these recall repairs. And so you have dealerships who will discourage you from bringing your car in for the repair. They'll tell you, oh, you know, it only blows up and one out of 350,000 deployments or whatever the number is. So why should you worry about that? You know, you should just drive it and have fun and don't don't uh, bother, uh, you know, getting this fixed. And don't let anybody convince you of that. Don't go to a used car dealership and skip over the fine print at the bottom that says, oh, by the way, this car is under recall, um, you know, because you're, the airbag in it could blow your head off, but you're assuming the risk of that. You know, um, don't don't let people get away with stuff like that. You really have to be uh, the consumer really has to be on guard. And that's not just with respect to cars that you're buying, but anything that you're owning. Because I mean, think about it. If the ARC recalls cover the period from 2000 to 2018, boy, that's an enormous it's been a long enough time that very few of those cars are still in the hands of the people uh, that bought them initially. And that's where a lot of times NHTSA's tracking ends. And so somebody else is going to be getting a recall notice on your car. It is really up to you. It is entirely do-it-yourself. You have to get out there. If you're a car enthusiast, then you've got to be a safety enthusiast as well. And if you're a safety enthusiast, you have to resort to whatever um, uh, methods uh, the government has made available to you. But that's all the government's really going to do is to make that available to you so you can find out that you're entitled to a free repair. And then you have to bully your way into the dealership and insist that they actually do what they're legally obligated to do. Yeah. And I'll say my local dealer, BMW dealership was awesome. Got the notices. uh, They fixed the cars as soon as they could and refixed them as soon as they could. So my hat's off to them. Well, listeners, if you have any other questions, go to Carsia website and click on Jerry Cox. Do the search there. You'll find his first two shows, this show, of course, and all the links that you need to go and learn and protect yourself. And people that you sold cars to, reach out to them. 
let them know that you uh, have some information and they can do their own research and make themselves safer. Jerry, I, I can't thank you enough for spending time and your passion is so strong for this as it should be. My hat's off to you and uh, I hope that you listeners got some very valuable information on all this today. I know you did. So uh, take some action and protect yourselves and the, those around you. Jerry, thank you for, for coming back. I wish you the best. And thank you for being brave and putting all this out there and exposing all this. Uh, my hat's off to you. Until you and I talk again, I hope next time things are more positive. I appreciate you being here. I hope, I hope that day will come. I really hope that day will come. Absolutely. 20, 50, or 100 years from now, Will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, is accomplishing this goal is through workforce development initiatives, the RPM Apprenticeship Program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah. Did you know that Cars Yeah is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership, according to Libsyn, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States? That's right. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars yeah has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyeah.com or through the website at carsyeah.com today to learn more. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.